Have you ever been talking to somebody famous and not known who they were? I think Frank has had an experience like that. I heard you kick Bon Jovi out of a club one time or something like that. I haven't had many experiences like this. One time I met a non-Justin Timberlake member of NSYNC. He came into Stop and Shop. He was doing a Western Union. And until he gave me his license, I didn't know who he was. But needless to say, that one didn't rock my world. So I came across an article the other day where someone had gathered together examples of this phenomenon that happens when you're talking to somebody but don't know who they are. You can't perceive who they are. I'm going to read you some of these. So the first one, this is an exchange that happened on Twitter. J.K. Rowling, author of Harry Potter, she writes about her character Snape. Snape is all gray. You can't make him a saint. He was vindictive in bullying. You can't make him a devil. He died to save the wizarding world. Sounds reasonable. Well, not to one Twitter user named Harry Potter fans. He responded, no, Snape died to clear his conscience. To which another user responded, you know she wrote the book, right? <laughs> another example, Star Wars fan. He posts, who's this chick, this hipster chick wearing the Star Wars shirt? She needs to stop. She probably hasn't even seen the movies. To which another user replies, posting the picture, you mean this one, Natalie Portman? She was in three of them. <laughs> so last one, a uh, woman with the title New Music Coordinator at a radio station in L.A. She wrote a letter to the singer Annie Lennox. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she sang Sweet Dreams in the 80s, big hit. She writes to her, I came across your music online, and I really like what I heard. I find artists who I think have potential and get them on rotation at our station. If you'd like, please send over the MP3 for your latest single, and I'll get it to our program director and see if he's interested. Also, what sort of campaign do you have going for your single? Because we're connected to a lot of radio stations, and I can get you on worldwide. Let me know your thoughts, and don't forget to send me that MP3. She screenshotted that and posted, you think I have a chance? I know her biggest hit came out in the 80s, and some of us, some, some of you here might not even know about it, but a person working in radio, they should know their stuff when it comes to artists. Some of these are so bad, I wondered if they could even be real. How could people, from experts to superfans, not perceive the people that they're actually studying, that they're in their field of work? It's like if they read more carefully, maybe looked up the person that they're talking to, but whatever it is, there's a serious lack of perception here from those who are more than privy to the information. And we're going to see that when we look at Mark 4 today. Jesus is going to talk about that. We've come to the point in the book of Mark where Mark thinks it's good to take a break and let Jesus explain what we've been seeing because Jesus has put himself in front of a lot of people. And we're finding out that proximity to Jesus does not equal intimacy with Jesus. It doesn't even equal recognition of Jesus. The religious leaders who are supposed to be experts on God are plotting to kill the God-man. The crowds just want to see miracles. His own family thinks he's out of his mind, and they're attempting to disrupt his ministry. Again, how could people from experts to superfans be so blind? By now, his disciples are wondering, is this kingdom thing even going to happen? seems like Jesus is more rejected than accepted. And it's here where Mark takes a break from the action 
And Jesus explains these experiences that we've been reading about. He's going to explain to his disciples and to us the reason behind this lack of receptivity to him and his word. And he's going to explain it through parables that give some of our first glimpses into the kingdom that this king has told us is near. We're going to look at three parables today. All of them talk about seeds, and all of them talk about growth. And each seeks to set our expectation for the kingdom. Each parable has its own unique message about the kingdom. In the first, we'll see the plan for kingdom growth. In the second, Jesus shows us the process for kingdom growth. And in the third, he'll address the ultimate progress of kingdom growth. So we've got the plan, the process, and the progress. So let's look at the first parable and see what Jesus has to say about the plan for kingdom growth. So as Leanna read just a couple minutes ago, the parable goes like this. There are four seeds and four circumstances. The first fell on the path and was snatched away by birds. The second fell on rocky soil and was scorched. The third fell among thorns, which choked it. And the fourth and final seed fell on good soil and yielded 30, 60 to 100 fold. So what does this mean? That's the question Jesus' disciples have. And he's going to explain it to them when they get some time alone. Read with me, beginning in chapter 4, verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. So I'm going to reveal the secret to the kingdom of God right now. Are you ready? It's that Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king, and he used parables as a way of revealing kingdom truths. But the only ones who could understand the parables are those who actually believed him when he told them who he is. Those who rejected him, called him crazy, they never would understand the parables because the key to understanding them is who Jesus is. So a deep hearing and understanding of the word comes only to those who believe in Jesus. And with that in mind, let's read on, look at Jesus' explanation in verse 14. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word was sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They endure for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those that hear the word, but the cares of the world choke and, and deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. So the seed is the word, the one Jesus has been sowing. And the condition of the ground represents the condition of the hearer. In other words, the ground's ability to support deep roots represents the ability of the hearer to understand the word they hear. Remember, the key to understanding 
the words about Jesus is to believe in Jesus himself. Like I said in the beginning, this is a time when Mark thinks we need some explanation of what we've been reading. And Jesus lays out three reactions to him. And we've already seen these reactions. Uh, Last week, we saw Jesus' parents. Before that, the religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees, they have no reception of the word. They do not and will not recognize Jesus. Seed has been sown, and it might as well have been snatched away by the birds because there's no reception at all. In fact, what they hear incites them to plot Jesus' murder. The crowds are amped up because Jesus is doing miracles, but they have little interest in what any of this means. Who is the man performing these miracles? They're along for the ride, but as we'll see in Mark, the crowd has a presence, and they move from a crowd that worships, uh, that follows Jesus everywhere he goes, to a crowd that calls for his blood. Why? Because Jesus said they have no root. There's no depth to their hearing of the message. And when, they, when persecution arises, they either disappear or they line up with the force that they see as more dominant. Rocky, shallow, soil, unable to support growth. Then we have Jesus' own family, like I just said, who we saw last week, they're disrupting his ministry because they think he's lost his mind. He's embarrassing. He's getting too big. Choked by the cares of the world. No growth. Then, it's in contrast to these that we're shown the seed that was sown on good soil and the abundant growth in store. Jesus identifies the good soil as those who can support growth because they have heard the word and accepted it. And it's here that we see that growth is not just for the sake of growth, but to yield fruit, something useful, a product of growth. The farmer, to the farmer, not only does fruit mean food, it means multiplication. When you bite down to the core of an apple, what's in there? Seeds, yeah, the makings of multiplication. I heard a saying the other day that one acorn has the power to cover the entire earth in forest. Think about that. Think about the power of a seed that bears fruit. There is a limiting factor, that's the soil, and that's what Jesus is getting at. The growth plan for the kingdom is people who deeply hear the word of God, and receive Jesus. It's these people who will grow. It's these people who will bear fruit. And it's these people who will cast more seed. And don't miss this. Jesus said 30 to 60 to 100 fold. No one gets that kind of harvest, not even by today's farming standards. So the most amazing thing about this parable is that the farmer has a one in four shot of getting a yield, but the one that actually yields fruit makes up for all the seeds that didn't, even more so. It goes beyond what one would expect from the originally sown seeds. So never downplay the magnitude of a person receiving Jesus. If you're a believer, never downplay the magnitude of the fact that you have received Jesus. There are grand implications for that. We get so wrapped up in our own perceptions of how well we share the gospel or how we can tell people about Jesus that we lose sight of the truth in this passage. Jesus is saying varied results, 
Yes. But when the word falls on ears that listen, hearts where the seed can take deep root, watch out. There will be a harvest like you've never seen. So if you're a believer, you're evidence of this. If you're sharing the gospel and it seems like no one's responding, know that Jesus said that's normal. Jesus said that would happen. But never stop sharing. Because there is good soil out there. There is. Your own testimony is proof of that. Think of where you heard the gospel, the time when you responded, the time when the word took root in your heart. For many of us, isn't it reasonable to say that we weren't the first to encounter the gospel that way and we won't be the last? For me, I was 24 when I trusted the Lord and it was at a local church. Many non-believers went in and many non-believers came out the same way. But one day, I went in and I heard about Jesus and I recognized him. For the first time, I recognized him and I walked out and the kingdom population grew by one. Then I shared the gospel with the people I knew a person here, a person there, and they shared, and so on, and so on. And many of you have stories like that. Many of you are a result of stories like that. There's no limit to what God can do when we share the good news. That's the growth plan of the kingdom. People are the growth plan. Before we move on to the process of kingdom growth, it's important to look at the warning that comes with this parable. It's in verse 24. After explaining his parable to his disciples, Jesus says, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So what Jesus is saying here is, it can get comfortable being on the inside. And he knows that even his own disciples are susceptible to the factors that hinder growth. We're not immune to shallowness. We're not immune to thorns. We scale back our love for Jesus to avoid persecution, and we chase money and comfort. But Jesus is saying, these mean death. I'm not saying loss of salvation. That's beyond the scope of this passage. But I'm talking about a self-centered life with no growth and no fruit, a life that is no longer on the kingdom growth plan. See, the thing about soil is that it generally has to stay fertile, not only to sprout a seed, but to sustain life. Think about it. As plants grow past the stage of a seedling, they're certainly hardier, but they can't flourish in bad soil. The same way we can't flourish when we lose our receptivity to the word of God. So yes, we have a part in the kingdom growth plan. The plan is people, and our job is to remain receptive to Jesus and to hear his words and spread the good news. Some will accept and some will reject. But we have to remember that our job is sowing, not growing. We are not tasked with the process of growing the kingdom, which brings us to parable number two. 
where Jesus reveals the kingdom growth process. We're moving now to a new parable, which means that although it came after the one that we just read, it has its own unique factors. Things like farmer's soil seed that it has in common with the other one don't necessarily represent the same thing. So we read this in relation to the overall lesson Jesus is teaching, but not as an extension of the parable we just read. Does that make sense? So look with me, beginning in verse 26. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So again, Jesus mentions scattered seed on the ground, but this time there's no mention of soil variation. The emphasis here is on growth itself. The first thing we see about that growth is that it's independent from the farmer. The earth produces itself, as he says. In Jesus' parable, the person has no growth over the plant, no power over the growth of the plant. And in the same way, kingdom growth is not subject to our efforts. God is the one who grows the kingdom. And God is the one who will bring it to fruition. The process of kingdom growth is God-driven. He is at work. The next thing we see is that it's slow. Night after night, day after day, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. Remember in chapter 1, Jesus said the kingdom was near? He said, the kingdom of God is at hand. But he didn't say how it would come or when we should expect to experience the full reign of God. Here he's saying, it's slow. He's setting our expectation. For his disciples, this means this isn't happening today. Jesus is not here to lead a hostile overthrow of the Roman government, as they might have hoped. Now you'd think being so far removed from those times and with more revelation that we as Christians would get that as well. The kingdom doesn't mean Christians in charge of America, and it doesn't mean Christians in charge of the world. I'm not saying that we shouldn't participate in government, or definitely not saying that we shouldn't try to make our world better because we're called to do that. But there is a poisonous misconception that if we could just get so-and-so into office or if we could just get this freedom or that freedom, if we could just get our Christian society back, that's not a kingdom mindset. It's not a kingdom mindset because it's not the mindset of the king. Jesus says this is God's work, slow and very sure. And believe me, I've worked in all Christian workplaces before. I don't know about any of you, but we have all the same problems because we have all the same sinners. Injustice, immorality, incompetence, you name it. I've experienced it. It's because we're human. We will one day experience sinless life among our brothers and sisters, but that day is not today. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus has resurrected and is about to ascend into heaven, his disciples ask, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
And he basically tells them, that's not your business. The Father has fixed that time, and it's his business. And he tells them, but you, you will be my witnesses. Your job is to tell people about me. Our job is to tell people about him. And I don't want to minimize that sometimes it feels like we're an insignificant people. We feel singled out, weird, ostracized at times, especially here in New England. Our conversations with friends, family, coworkers, they feel awkward because we're viewed as stupid for believing in Jesus, in this kingdom that's not of this world, as he put it. Someone told me the other day, you know, if I believe in Jesus, all my coworkers are going to think I'm stupid. It's a real thing. In my personal testimony, I always share that I grew up here and I didn't even encounter a Christian until I was 21. 21 years old, and I never ran into one of God's people. Or if I did, they didn't tell me about Jesus. Where are all the kingdom people? Jesus' disciples likely felt the same. They're supposed to be sowers. They're hearing that the condition of the soil is unfriendly to growth. That's not a very encouraging message. Sure, God is at work, but this thing's pretty small right now. They've hitched their wagons to Jesus, and compared to the crowd, compared to the religious establishment, compared to the Roman government, they're not just a small faction. They're an insignificant nothing. They're nobodies. Jesus speaks to this in the third and final parable we'll look at this morning. Look with me here at verse 30. And he says, and he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus compares the kingdom of God to the poster child for small seeds. All right, everybody, look under your seat. I've actually put a mustard seed under each seat this morning. See if you can find it. Just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, I didn't. But if I had placed one there, it likely would not have been the first thing you saw. It's that small. We know from Jesus' first parable and our experience that the kingdom of God is missed just as easily today. But we also know from this last parable that it will not stay that way. In the same way the mustard seed grows up and becomes the largest plant in the garden, the kingdom of God will be immeasurably larger than what we see now. The kingdom of God is not an insignificant opposing faction. And Jesus is not an insignificant faction leader. He is a king. And his kingdom is the one true and final kingdom. Do you know that in 2012, it was estimated that there were 2.2 billion Christians on earth? How many were there when Jesus began his ministry? This is just a snapshot of a point in time. Nobody can know how many there have been throughout the ages, and nobody can know how many there will be a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now. Talk about progress. Even greater than that 
is this passage from Revelation 7, where we get a glimpse of the kingdom in its state of fruition. The Apostle John writes, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. From a mustard seed to the largest of plants. From one man to a diverse multitude that no one could number. The progress is immeasurable. The magnitude is unfathomable. So back to the parable. Jesus describes this plant as having large branches so that birds can make nests in its shade. The kingdom is a place of peace. The kingdom is a place of rest like we've never known before. In the book of Revelation, we're told it's a place where tears are dried. There's no more pain. Anyone looking forward to that? Aren't we desperate for that? Our world is the opposite of peace. But the kingdom will be a place of peace. So the plan is people. The progress is God's work. Doesn't that free you up? to do the work we're called to do in sharing the gospel. Not only does Jesus show us that this is a worthy task, he tells us that God is in charge of the results. Maybe this week is the week that you and I try liberally sowing seed, knowing that some will fall here, some will fall there, but that God is at work among us. So I encourage you and even myself Let's share the gospel with a neighbor, a friend, family member, coworker, whatever, or better yet, more than one of those people, knowing that people really are ready to receive Jesus and God is in charge of the kingdom growth process. So before we close, I want to highlight the significance of Jesus using seeds in his parables. Why did he choose seeds? Some say that's because his hearers would have only understood that or that it helped them, and I definitely agree. It certainly helps to put heavenly truth in earthly language so that we can understand it. But look at Jesus' own words as he predicted his death in John 12, 24. He said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies... It bears much fruit. Jesus is not only the king, but he made himself the prototype. With the frailty and weakness of a seed, he gave up his life to be murdered, to be crucified for our sin in our place. And like a seed, he went into the ground, covered in darkness. But like a seed, his story does not end in the ground. 
He was raised on the third day. What was sown perishable was raised imperishable. What was sown in dishonor was raised in glory. The Apostle Paul calls him the first fruits from among the dead. Resurrection is ours because it was his first. We have hope. We have eternal life. We have kingdom citizenship because of him. Hear these words. Receive them deeply. Let them take root. God is doing something greater than we can ever comprehend. Remember, the kingdom growth plan is people who deeply receive Jesus. The process is God's work, and the progress is immeasurable. Let's pray.